Amen. Uh, Remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. And as you're turning, I will just say it is a great privilege for me to be with you this morning. I am very grateful for the partnership, the friendship that exists between RTS here in Atlanta and the church here in Smyrna. Grateful for Joel, for Danny, for their ministry, and for the, 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 the ministry of the elders here at the church. And look forward to many years, Lord willing, of partnership, a fruitful partnership together uh, moving forward. Matthew chapter 18, very well-known passage. If you've been in the church for any length of time, Matthew chapter 18, I'd like to read this parable of the unforgiving servant or perhaps unmerciful servant in your copy of God's Word, beginning in verse 21. I'll read through verse 35. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Amen. You may be seated. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we are grateful for your word. We pray that you would write its truths on our hearts this morning and that you would make us a people of your word once again, anew and afresh. Grant us your Holy Spirit, as they say, rend the heavens and come down. Visit us this morning, we pray. Inhabit the praises of your people. Bless us and make us a blessing, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in college... When I was in college, I had a, uh, an idea 
to invite the young lady that I was seeing at the time over to my apartment and cook dinner for her. Uh, if you know me, uh, and some of you will know me uh, well enough to know that uh, I do not cook. Uh, I, I do a mean bowl of cereal, but that's about the extent of my culinary uh, gifts. And so I had this idea to invite her over uh, to, uh, to my apartment. And in order to invite her over and cook dinner, I needed to clean the apartment. And as a typical guy's apartment, it was in need of very much cleaning. Uh, and so I thought I would take uh, save time by taking the dirty dishes that were in the sink, none of which belonged to me, or so I thought, uh, and I would just take them and put them on the floor in my roommate's bedroom. That way I could just close the door and nobody would see the mess and I could spend my time better uh, elsewhere. So I did. I took the dishes and put them on his floor in his room, closed the door, and uh, when he got home later that night, he wasn't real excited about finding dirty dishes with the dirty water and everything else that would go along, food still left on the dishes sitting on the floor of his room. So he decided to pick up those dirty dishes and to dump them out on my bed. And needless to say, that didn't make me too happy either. Uh, and from that point, our situation only got worse. Uh, I think I ended up moving out about a week later, uh, and we've never seen each other or spoken since. Uh, I've tried, I've thought about the situation many times. Uh, I can't even remember my roommate's name. We were together for such a short period of time, uh, and I have no idea where to con how would I, would I would ever contact him. Neither one of us were Christians. But that kind of a break in relationship, I think, defines so many of our lives. Unforgiveness. Perhaps there's a family member in your life with whom you have not reconciled. Maybe there's someone in the church here with whom you are at odds and you have yet to reconcile. Unforgiveness, lack of reconciliation are two things that we struggle with not only as individuals living in this world, but as Christians. Unforgiveness is in the church. And we have an easy, or relatively easy, or so we think, Solution to that lack of reconciliation in the church. That is, we just leave. We go to another church. As Joel said, I served as a pastor for about 12 years, still serving as a pastor, but I was pastoring a congregation for about 12 years. And we had, an had a situation many years ago where one of the members of the church apparently was in Sunday school. I was not there. Heard about it secondhand. Um, but he was in church, and I mean, in Sunday school, and he, apparently he asked a very silly question in Sunday school, because later, he, apparently he was in the bathroom after Sunday school, and he heard two other members of the congregation that were also in that same Sunday school class laughing and saying, can, can you believe how stupid that question is that so-and-so just asked? Well, he overheard the whole conversation. Rather than confronting, he grabbed his wife, and he grabbed his kids, and they left and they never came back. It took weeks to find out what was actually going on. But that kind of thing happens not only in our lives, uh, as if you will, non-Christians outside the church, but that kind of thing happens even within the church. Unforgiveness, a lack of reconciliation. This is a, an issue that Jesus wants us to focus on. And so he devotes this entire parable to unpacking the idea of forgiveness and explaining how it is that forgiveness ought to work in our lives as Christians. 
There are three main things that I want us to see this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to keep them open and keep them on your laps in front of you. Three main things from Matthew chapter 18 that I want us to focus on this morning. And first is that forgiveness is relational. The second is that forgiveness is hard. And if you've been alive on planet Earth for any length of time, you will know forgiveness is hard. But I want us to see that specifically from this passage. And then third, forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is necessary. First, I want to look at forgiveness as being a relational concept. If you look with me at the context that leads Jesus, or leads Peter rather, to ask the question of Jesus, and then Jesus to tell this parable, the context is Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, where Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, and on and on until, until you take it to the church. And it's in that context of a brother sinning against another brother. It's, we're talking about Christians here. What's happening is happening within the context of the Christian family. A brother is sinning against a brother. A sister is sinning against a sister. And in that context, Peter, no doubt thinking he was being magnanimous, Peter says, well, Jesus, if my brother sins against me and, and I forgive him, should I do it as many as seven times? And of course, you know, Jesus says not seven times, Peter, but 70 times, seven times. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is not talking about forgiving an enemy here. Jesus is not, not even speaking about forgiving a stranger. Jesus is talking about relationship. A relationship that has been in place has been broken. Specifically, it's a relationship between two believers and the Lord Jesus Christ, two followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, two brothers. And that relationship has been fractured by something, no doubt, one has done to the other. And so in the context of a brother sinning against a brother, look down at verse 35. He, he summarizes and says the same thing. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. The whole thing I think Jesus wants us to see here is that forgiveness is a relational concept. In other words, the Bible never calls us to forgive an enemy. It calls us to love our enemies calls us to pray for our enemies. But the Bible never says, forgive your enemies. Forgiveness is relational. Why? Because sin is relational. When we sin, when we transgress God, when we transgress one another, we are breaking relationship. Sin is a relational category, and so the, the repair of that break in relationship, forgiveness, and reconciliation, I'm arguing here, go hand in hand. Forgiveness is always unto reconciliation in the Scriptures. The Bible knows nothing about forgiveness that does not also include reconciliation. There is no genuine forgiveness, therefore, 
until and unless there's reconciliation and restoration of the relationship that's been broken. You and I live in the metro Atlanta area, and at least pre-COVID, we were dealing with uh, traffic. And when someone cuts you off in traffic, someone with whom you have no relationship, and they anger you, and you are tempted to whatever it is, raise your fist in anger or whatever, grumble and complain because someone has cut you off or done whatever, um, that anger that's there, right? There, there, there can't be forgiveness in this sense. There was a transgression in a sense. There was some, an offense that was committed, but it was by someone with whom you have no relationship. So what the Bible says in terms of, of a biblical idea of forgiveness can't happen because there is no relationship. There's no relationship to have been broken, therefore there's no relationship to be mended. We need to love. We need to let bitterness go. But forgiveness can't take place because forgiveness is relational and specifically happens within the context of a relationship between Christians. The Bible says that you and I have an obligation to forgive one another. You see, if you are here this morning and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are united to Christ by faith. And all who believe in Christ and are united to Christ and are therefore a part of the body of Christ are also fellow members or are united to one another. You see, if I believe in Christ and you believe in Christ, we believe in the same Christ. We're united to the same Christ, and so we're united to one another. So because of that, I am obligated to be in right relationship with you. And so if I offend you or if I hurt you or do something to break relationship with you, that relationship needs to be restored. You see what I'm calling us to is I'm calling us to confrontation. Look with me in your Bibles at Luke chapter 17. Here, Jesus on another occasion says in verse 3 of Luke chapter 17, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You see what Jesus is saying here? Again, notice he says, if a brother sins against you. This is happening within a relationship, within the context of the Christian relationship. He says, if your brother sins against you, you must rebuke him confront him. That's the whole context what Jesus is, is setting up in, this, in Matthew 18. When your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If he doesn't listen to you, you take someone with you. If he doesn't listen to you again, you take it to the church. You see, Christians are obligated to be in right relationship with one another. We are members of the body of Christ. It's like your eye wanting nothing to do with your hand. The body can't function when this arm doesn't want to do what this arm wants to do, when this arm and this arm don't want to be together in the same body, it doesn't work. 
And so part of what Jesus has in mind here is you and I are obligated to be in right relationship with one another. We're obligated to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation with one another because those two things of reconciliation and forgiveness always go hand in hand in the Bible. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, you rebuke him. If he repents, you forgive him, even if he sins against you seven times in the day. And he comes and he repents seven times. Jesus says, you can think about forgiving him. If you'd like to forgive him, you can do so. That's not what Jesus says. What do he say in Luke 17, 3? Especially in 4. You must forgive him. We are obligated to be in right relationship with one another because forgiveness is relational. That's the first thing Jesus wants us to see. It's relational. It takes place in the context of a relationship, specifically the relationship of a brother to a brother, a sister to a sister. Second, Jesus says forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is hard. And as I said, anyone who has been in any kind of a relationship at any point in time ought to know this, especially if you've been married. (laughs) The most intimate of relationships. There is, uh, whenever there's a relationship that's involved and that relationship is broken, there's pain that necessarily goes along with that. The more intimate the relationship, the more it hurts when that relationship is broken. If you barely know someone, right, when someone cuts you off in traffic and there is no relationship, it ought not really hurt at all because there's really been no, you feel that you've been done wrong, you've been treated wrongly. But imagine now when your husband or your wife or your mother or your father or your sister, or your brother, someone that you have an intimate relationship with, when they hurt you, when they offend you, when they say something about you, how much more that hurts because of the relationship that's there. So forgiveness is hard precisely because it is relational. There's a hurt that goes along with that. And not only is there a hurt, but there's a a sense in which there's a a constant revisiting of that hurt. Before healing can happen, the hurt has to be gotten up on the table and dealt with. We can't sweep it under the rug. We can't simply forget about it. In one sense, we want to say, well, you know, why don't we just forget about it? Why don't we just, it's already happened, let's just put it behind us and let's move on. But the problem is when we move on, we say that, I mean, we we can't really move on because forgiveness has to happen and reconciliation has to happen. Restoration has to happen. And the only means to do that is to get the hurt, that elephant in the room, to get it up on the table and to deal with it. And that makes forgiveness hard. One of the other things that makes forgiveness hard is that a debt has been incurred. And that's the whole point of Matthew 18. Jesus tells this parable and he says that the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a master 
who calls in his servant who owes him 10,000 talents. Now that means nothing to you and me. But you will know, or you may know, if you, have a, if you look in your Bible and you see a footnote in your scriptures, you'll know that one talent was equal to uh, 20 years' wages for a common day laborer. So I don't know what a common day laborer makes today. Let's just say uh, about $20 an hour would come to somewhere around $30,000 a year approximately. That may not be accurate. Let's just use that for math. So if if a common day laborer makes $30,000 in our day and one talent is 20 years wages, one talent is $600,000 debt. This servant owed 10,000 talents. That's $6 billion. That's a healthy debt. $6 billion. This servant, having been forgiven a $6 billion debt, what does he do? He turns right around and goes to a fellow servant. His debt was with the master. And here he has a fellow servant who is on the same level, if you will, as he is, and owes him a hundred denarii debt. Now, a hundred denarii, if I remember correctly, a denarius is one day's wage. So in this case, it's a hundred days wages. So if he's making 30000 a year, that's about half a year, a little bit less. So it's about $12,000 a year. Oh, excuse me, $12,000 debt. So here, having been forgiven $6 billion, he beats up and imprisons a fellow servant who owes him $12,000. Now, $12,000 is not a small debt. If you owed me $12,000, I surely would want to collect it. But 12000 is nothing compared to $6 billion. And so what Jesus is saying, there's a lot more. We'll look at this in our third point. But one of the things Jesus is saying is that sin, or if you will, break in relationship, involves a debt being incurred. When I sin against you, when I offend you, I take away from you right relationship. I owe you a debt, and that is restoration and reconciliation. I owe you a debt. I owe what I've taken from you. When a thief breaks into my house and takes my TV, they owe me what they took from me because it was mine, and they took it from me. Well, the same thing's true here. When I offend you, I'm taking right relationship from you. I am obligated as a brother or a sister in Christ to be in right relationship with you. And so when I hurt you, when I offend you, I take that from you. I've incurred a debt. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Forgiveness is hard because it means a debt has been incurred. Someone owes us. And we owe someone else if we've offended or hurt. But debt, but forgiveness is also hard because it involves our pride. And really, this gets to the bottom line issue of what makes forgiveness so hard in marriage and in all of our relationships, because we are prideful people. C.S. Lewis entitled one of his chapters in Mere Christianity, The Great Sin, in which he goes on and talks about pride as being the great sin, the one sin that undergirds every sin in our lives. And I think he's right. Sin of pride was there in the Garden of Eden. 
Pride was the essence, the essential, the fundamental sin that led to the fall, if you will, that culminated in all of our problems. And that prideful spirit is in all of us. When my wife hurts me or offends me, which, as much as I love her, does happen, my mind, my pride, raises its ugly head. And it usually ends up, the voice in the back of my head, and as, I, as I've said to my, my wife, has heard me say this before, um, so it won't be the first time, um, thankfully, um, but um, I don't, I've never said this out loud. She knows it now, obviously, because she's heard me say this, but I've never said this to her out loud in the moment. But when she has hurt me, when she offends me, the voice in the back of my head says, woman, don't you know who I am? How dare you speak to me that way? How dare you treat me that way? And then what do I do? I respond in light of that voice. You see, that's pride that then drives a, a wedge into that, into that relationship. That's what makes forgiveness so hard is we're prideful people. We don't respond well when we're hurt. When the debt has been incurred, we don't respond well because we are prideful people. And I think that's precisely what Jesus wants us to see. Look at verse 26. This is absolutely fantastic. So the master calls this servant in. He owes him $6 billion, and he says, and since he could not pay, you want to say, no joke. He makes, he makes $30,000 a year, in this case, 10,000 talents. I mean, he makes, excuse me, uh, um, one talent was 20, wa- 20 years wages. So he's making the equivalent of whatever that would be, um, uh, I don't even know, 360 denarius a year or whatever, denarii a year or whatever. But anyway, the point is, uh, one lifetime, he would be able to repay $30,000 of a $6, $6 billion debt. It would take him 10,000 lifetimes if he paid back the entirety of his salary every year to the master. It would take 10,000 lifetimes, which he does not have, and he could not repay the whole 30,000 because he has to eat. He has to pay the light bill. He has to pay for internet and cable TV or whatever else you, you need, right? My point is, you, this debt is someone that was one he cannot pay back. There's just no way. Not in one lifetime, not in 10,000 lifetimes. But we're told in verse 25, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and whatever they could get, no doubt, paled into insignificance compared to the $6 billion debt of that payment to be made. And then look at verse 26. So. The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have mercy, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. You see the arrogance. You see the pride. There was no way he could pay back everything. Not in one lifetime, not in 10,000 lifetimes. And yet this servant was deluded. His perception of his debt was so minor that he thought 
owing $6 billion, he could still pay it back in one lifetime. That's pride. And that pride affects all of us. And it affects every relationship that we all have. And it makes forgiveness hard. Thirdly, Jesus says forgiveness is necessary. And I think really that's the whole point of what Jesus is really trying to say here in the telling of this parable of the unforgiving or unmerciful servant. Look with me at verse 35. This is Jesus' summary after telling the parable of the servant who owed the master 10,000 talents, $6 billion, and, and how he's, he's forgiven, and yet it means nothing to him, so little that he goes out and he beats up a fellow servant who owes him $12,000. Upon hearing of it, the master puts him in prison. We're told until, verse 34, until he should pay all of his debt. He couldn't pay his debt if he was alive, out of prison, working. Now there's no way he can pay his debt in prison. So the idea is he will be in prison forever. It's a picture of hell. What Jesus is talking about here is that you and I, every one of us, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the servant who owes $6 billion to the master. And that debt has been forgiven. And we incur debts all the time, horizontally, servant to servant, brother to brother, sister to brother or sister. We incur debts, $12,000 debt, all the time. Sometimes it's $1 debt. Sometimes it's $12,000 debt. But whatever it is, it pales into insignificance, no matter how serious the offense. And some of us here, we have faced very serious hurt and offense. Serious debts have been racked up against us by those we love, by our leaders, by fellow Christians. But no matter how serious that is, Jesus is saying, it's a $12,000 debt, and you've been forgiven $6 billion. But notice what Jesus says, verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. My heavenly Father, Jesus says, will throw you in prison until you should pay all your debt. In other words, eternity. You'll never be able to pay the debt. My heavenly Father will throw you into hell for eternity unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Wait a minute, Jesus. That sounds like salvation by works. If you forgive, then you will be forgiven. What happened to sola gratia? What happened to sola fide? We're saved by grace alone. 
through faith alone, in Christ alone. What is Jesus saying here? Unless you forgive your brother or your sister from the heart, you, my heavenly Father, will throw you into prison forever. You see, Jesus is not talking about salvation by works. He's not saying, if you forgive, then you will be forgiven. What he's saying is, the one who has been forgiven much, always forgives much. The $6 billion that this servant has for, been, was forgiven here in this parable ought to have translated into forgiveness of the, of the $12,000 debt that a servant, fellow servant incurred. It didn't. And so what does that show us? This forgiveness meant, almost, meant very little to him. In fact, it meant so little, he thought he could pay back the debt in just a matter of years. His concept of the debt he had incurred with his master was trivial, was insignificant. So forgiveness meant nothing to him at all. And so what did he do? He showed how little that forgiveness meant by going, up, going out and beating up someone who owed him a debt that paled into insignificance. You see, what Jesus is saying is, Jesus is saying is unforgiveness is a warning light on the dashboard of your life that is blinking and crying out for your attention, saying, there's a problem in your heart. There's a problem spiritually in your life. If you can't forgive a brother or a sister, a mother or a father, if you can't forgive a Christian leader or, or anyone with whom you are in relationship, if you can't forgive them for what they've done to you, then you don't understand. There's a breakdown somewhere in your understanding of forgiveness between you and the Lord himself. You've lost sight. You've maybe never experienced it at all in the first place. You see, the whole point is that God's forgiveness of me is not just a $6 billion forgiveness one time, but it's forgiveness over and over and over again. You know, I've been a Christian for about 30 years. And do you know that after 30 years of living the Christian life, that I still commit many of the same sins today that I did 30 years ago? There has been so little progress in my life, in some ways, so little progress in the Christian life. And yet, God forgives me for the same sins that I've been committing for 30 years. Over and over and over again. And you see, that is why Forgiveness is necessary. Even, Jesus says in Luke 17, even if a brother forgives or sins against you seven times in the day and comes to you asking for forgiveness, you don't say, nope, you can't be genuine. 
because you've done this six other times today, so surely you're not genuine. If you were genuine in your repentance, you wouldn't be doing it. That's not what Jesus says. Why? Because forgiveness is necessary. It's necessary for you and me as Christians because the one who's been forgiven much. And the definition of a Christian is that we've been forgiven $6 billion. Not just once when we came to faith in Christ, but every single day. God forgives us and he forgives us over and over again for the sake of Jesus. Jesus died for all of my sin, not only the sins in the past, but the sins of the present and the sins of the future, every sin that I will ever commit until Jesus returns or until he calls me home. Jesus died. I'm forgiven. And having been forgiven much, how will I not also forgive others? You see what Jesus is saying here. Peter has come to Jesus in light of this dilemma about a brother sinning against you and doesn't, you know, you go and you tell him his fault and and then he doesn't listen, so you take a witness with you and and then it doesn't listen to that, so you take take it to the church. And Peter, no doubt thinking he was being, being magnanimous, says, Well, Jesus. How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And you know, Jesus says, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times. Seven times. And what Jesus then is saying, I think, in the telling of this parable, is Peter, it's not seven times. Peter, it's not even 70 times seven times. But Peter, you should never have had to ask the question. Because the one who's been forgiven much, forgives much. Not just seven times. And not just 70 times seven times. But always. The breakdown in forgiveness is tied directly to a breakdown in our experience of our forgiveness with the Lord. Either we've lost sight of how much we've been forgiven or we've never been forgiven in the first place. I don't know where you are this morning, but wherever you are, I would challenge you to look to Christ, to flee to Christ. Put your faith and your hope in Christ, because he really has paid it all, all of the six billion and more that you owe, that I have owed, Jesus died so that we might be forgiven. And having been forgiven much, let us go and forgive others much. And so proclaim the glorious gospel to all that we come in contact. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, how grateful we are for this time together this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray that you'd press its truth upon our hearts, that you 
would remind us of how much we have been forgiven. And having been forgiven much, Father, we pray that you would grant us your grace, your Holy Spirit, so that we might forgive others much, even $12,000 debt. And Father, I pray that you'd bring great glory to your name, that you'd exalt your Son, Jesus, on high, in and through our forgiving others much, because we have been forgiven much. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.